I'm not convinced. That was a little weak, but that's okay. Listen, y'all, uh, Pastor Ian had said it, but I wanted to share, there, there have been some testimonies that have gotten back to me and I'm just so blessed to have been a part of and to hear um, throughout this entire series that Pastor Ian was talking about, there have been relationships that have been healed. There have been marriages that, that are they're starting, to, uh, starting to come back together. They were broken and they're starting to, to come back together. There have been uh, chains that have been broken in incredible miracle working ways. And so it's been just an honor. And it's an honor for me to jump in on this series. I also know that it has been uh, an opportunity to maybe step on your toes a little bit. Pastor Shane said, maybe pinch the, pinch the skin on the back of your arm. Uh, today is no exception. I wanna recognize uh, throughout the sermon, there's a couple things that I wanna recognize. One of them that I wanna start off with, I wanna recognize the difficulty of any message dealing with parenting, with husbands and wives, with children. And I say that because I know that there are those of you that are out there that are maybe watching online that you have prayed and you have prayed and you have prayed for a child. And for whatever reason, the Lord hasn't answered that prayer. For you this morning, I'm praying for you. I love you. He isn't here. There are those of you who have children that you've raised in a godly home. And when they got old enough, they have departed from the faith. There's going to be a time when during this sermon that you're going to carry that and it's going to be heavy. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you and that he is near. You single moms whose husbands have abandoned you and the children. I know it's hard to hear about parenting. The same goes for fathers. And so hear my heart. I love you. I see you. I don't forget that you are struggling with those things, that they're heavy, and I'm praying for you. Amen. Would you do something for me this morning? Would you all stand while we read God's word? The book of Ephesians chapter six, verse one, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Father God, we love you. We thank you for being here this morning for being present throughout worship. And as we read your word and as we hear what you have to say through us this morning, Lord, I pray that we set aside all distractions, Father, and those things that are hurtful to us. Lord, we pray that you would just hold us near and love us in the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I wanna give you a quick recap, just very quickly. So it's been 18, 19 weeks, so there's, there's a lot to recap, and in case you haven't caught it all. So Paul wrote this letter from prison, right? Wrote to the church of Ephesus from a prison in Rome. He knows the people, right? Uh, we know that from Acts 19. He spent two years with them teaching daily. They are mature Christians. There's something that's funny. He spent two years and three months. That's Luke's account. 
Paul says later on that he actually spent three years with him with tears. So it's between two years and three years. Acts 20, Paul calls for the elders of Ephesus to join him and he exhorts them. So he prays with them. They all weep. The scripture tells us that they fell on his neck and they kissed him. So this, were, this was a people. This was a, a group of people that he, was, that he was a brother to, right? And so they put him on a ship. He said, they'll never see, you'll never see my face again. Uh, put him on a ship and he, and he went on. So this is his communication back to them. So as we've navigated through this letter, the first three chapters are the parameters to which we live in, right? The chapters four, five, and six, now we're moving, we're, we, we've been moving into the principles of how we operate in our daily lives. Last week, of course, Pastor Ian did a beautiful job in talking about the marriage and the relationship and as, as it relates to Christ and the church. And so we're going to move into children and parents. So verse six, or verse one, chapter six, children obey. Everybody say obey. Oh, it's weak. Everybody say obey. Children, obey your, parent, your parents in the Lord for this is right. Okay. So since Paul was writing this letter to be read to the church, we have to assume that the children are part of that as well, right? At the very least that he wants the parents to communicate this message to the kids. That's important. But it's so interesting, Pastor Ian and I were talking about this this morning, how he adds children to this entire letter to the book of Ephesus, right? To the church of Ephesus. It could be, and I think that it is, that he's tying the relationship. We'll talk more about this later. The relationship of God's children to the heavenly father, right? Additionally, I think this might help us clarify this too. There's another reason. Listen to this. In most Western countries, the age at which young people attain their uh, majority, they attain, they attain their independence, has in recent years been lowered from 21 to 18. At that age now, they're no longer minors. They're given the right to vote. They're free to marry without parental consent. They can go to jail. The opposite extreme, I say that to say this, in the empire of Paul's day, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's entire life as long as the father was alive, okay? A Roman son never came of age. So when Paul says children, he could say children from, uh, from infancy all the way up to a, an adult of a Roman father or Roman parents. These are dependent offspring, okay? The same word lad in the Hebrew uh, describes a preteen Ishmael in the book of Genesis. It describes the teenager Joseph when he was 17 years old. It also describes someone who is, is ready to be married, ready for marriage. So children are important in Paul's eyes. All right, this word obey. All right, I'm gonna tell you the same thing I told the first service. Um, my mom and dad live under our roof. They live with us. And, uh, and this week, as I was preparing for this message, I asked mom and dad, I said, can you give me a time as a child when I was disobedient? I'm gonna use it on Sunday. And I am not lying to you when I say, I don't remember you ever being disobedient as a child. I understand that you don't believe it. The other people who don't believe it are the guys that are in my Wednesday night Bible study who I am very vulnerable with and I tell them all the things that happened to me throughout my childhood. 
So here's what, I, here's what I think. I just think that I was just very sneaky and I never got caught. That, is not, that does not have anything to do with obey. All right. Obey means obey, right? It, it has nuances of hearing than doing. A buddy of mine, Justin, who's in my group, came up to me after and he reminded me that also obey, the first, the first half of that word in Greek describes under, being under, being under obedience, right? We, uh, as children, are under the obedience of our parents. We, as, as Christians, we're under the uh, obedience. We have to be obedient to, to God. So I'm gonna ask this question, see what kind of response we get in this service. Men, husbands, dads, is there a difference between hearing and doing. I got some head nods. Absolutely. And I apologize for that because I know that this is going to be the discussion you have on your way home this afternoon in the car. Hearing without doing is disobeying, right? The action part is missing. Hearing without doing is disobeying. If I tell my daughter Jordan or my daughter Sydney, if I tell them to feed the dog, if I say feed the dog and they say, I got it, dad. And then I go off and I come back and they haven't fed the dog. That's disobedience. If she says, I got it, but she doesn't get up, walk to the fridge, get the food out, put it in the bowl, then she has not followed through with what she said she was going to do. There's a great example of this in the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel, there's an example of hearing but not doing. We find Ezekiel screaming at the top of his lungs. He's even doing some street performance, right? For 33 chapters, warning of destruction. And no one has been listening. And the Lord has to tell him. The Lord says, they are hearing you, but they aren't changing the way of life. Here's what he says. Ezekiel 33, verses 31 and 32. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth, they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Hearing something with no action is an act of selfishness and it can turn into an act of rebellion. Obedience is done as an attitude of honor in and for the Lord. Now, the people, uh, the, they were just ignoring what Ezekiel said. But obedience for our children, obedience is a learned activity. I know I don't have to ask this question because we know it. Children don't come out of the womb obeying, Right? Right? If they do, there needs to be a podcast to teach everybody else how this happens. Their natural state, a child's natural state is rebellion. Maybe, they, do they start to obey around one or two? Maybe. My, my wife reminded me that, uh, she reminded me yesterday when we were talking about uh, when they were, the girls were two, that that was called the terrible twos. You probably called it the terrible twos. But I gotta be honest, I think there were a lot more terrible years as well right? Like, what about the threes? Come on, somebody. 
right? The threes, I call those the ferocious fours and fives. Maybe it starts, maybe obedience starts when kids are two, maybe it starts three, maybe it starts earlier, maybe it starts later for some, but children have to learn obedience. It has to be taught. If not, it will lead to rebellion. And I want you to, I want you to hear me on this church. Rebellion. Don't let the word rebellion be told to you by the world that it's okay for your kids to rebel. Don't let the word, the world tell you that rebellion is okay in your house. They say kids will be kids. Yes, kids will be kids and that they aren't adults and that they're immature and their decisions are immature, but that doesn't give them the right to fling yogurt around surrounding tables and hitting other people in a restaurant. That story comes from Josh Montez. He can tell you that one. That's true. The world who tells us that it's okay for kids to rebel is moving in the opposite direction of the church. The world is moving in the opposite direction of the Christian home. If it's not moving in the opposite direction of your home, then something needs to change within your home. Second Timothy, verse three, Paul talks about disobedient children. He says that they're a mark of perilous times. Paul compares disobedient children to lovers of money, boasters, Proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. The list goes on and on. Paul takes disobedient to parents seriously. So why is obedience necessary? I'm gonna give you three, three reasons. One, that it's right. It's right. It fits who Jesus is. Obedience fits who Jesus is. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for it is right. It's written right there in the scripture. Paul gives Similar instructions in Colossians 3, verse 20. He says, children, obey your parents in all things for this is well and pleasing to the Lord. Obedience is pleasing to the Lord, all right? Obviously, he's talking about a Christian home here. Those are, that's the Christian home is in Paul's thoughts here. The only time obedience is not required biblically is when your parent violates God's law and commands you to do the same, Okay? A parent cannot tell somebody that they can't worship Jesus. I will say this, however, some of y'all have little evangelists and they're in their neighborhood and they're on the trampoline and they're at the pool and they're proclaiming the gospel and that is phenomenal, right? But when they bring home a kid who just says, I got saved on the trampoline, we need to go baptize him. The parent who is, the parent of that child needs to be part of that decision. And I have found there are times when a parent struggles with that. They absolutely defy it. They say that that's not gonna happen. So if you have a little evangelist that goes out and shares the gospel and you bring him home and say, he just got saved, we gotta go baptize him. So I want you to, I want you to come and have a conversation with us because we, myself, Pastor Ian, Pastor Shane, Pastor Randy, will all be available to talk to you through that because that is, that is a sensitive topic. All right, reason number two. Reason number one was it is right. Reason number two, it's best for them. When kids are obedient, the likelihood of harm is lower. That's emotional harm. That's physical harm. That's spiritual harm. Parents, I know we know everything. We do, right? Everybody but Brian. 
I mean, we do, we agree, right? When we were kids, and this is why we know, when we were kids and we were growing up, did your parents guide you in the opposite direction of the way you wanted to go? And it turns out that they were always right? Yes, there was some kind of scenario or something in your life where that happened. We found out that we weren't right. So we use that discernment, learning for our own kids. And sometimes they just don't believe it and that's okay, but we can't be arrogant about it. The Lord gives parents discernment and that cannot be ignored, but it's gotta be far more than, well, why? Because I said so. That is what we wanna say, but it's gotta be far more than that. As your kiddo grows, they aren't, le- they aren't learning simply to obey you. You're also teaching them to obey the Lord and they need to know that biblical reasons for obedience are there, okay? First reason, it's right. Second reason, it's best for them. The third reason, this is fascinating to me, the world is watching. Learn how serious is Paul about an obedient household when giving qualifications for overseers of the church, that's pastors and leaders. In 1 Timothy 3, 4, he says this, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? That is a lot of pressure on your leaders in the church, but it's important that it's important for church leadership and it's important for the body of Christ. If the world is watching and they are, the Christian needs to be different. Amen? We need to be different even if they're not watching. If the church's children are out of control, how do we witness to a lost world, y'all? If you have friends that see your Christian kids losing their minds and they're being disobedient and they're all over the place, why would that person look at you and go, oh, what you got is what I want? They won't. That is very difficult. They're going to say, That's, I'll take a hard pass. Let me, give you, let me give you a hard truth. I taught in the public school for seven years and I loved it. And I made phenomenal relationships and I had phenomenal kids. But listen to me, there were times, y'all, when I had kids that I knew were Christians acting no differently in the areas of respect and obedience to teachers than kids who didn't know Jesus. That's a hard truth to swallow, but it's true. We're moving on to verse two. Honor, everybody say honor. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may, be, you may live long on the earth. Now, Paul is quoting the fifth the 10 commandments in Exodus 20, 12 here, it sounds like it's a little bit of a prosperity thing, like be good and you'll live long, but that's not what he's saying. Here's the promise. Obedience is not easy, but God rewards obedience. God promises good things, just like he promised the Israelites to the promised land. Okay, here's that word honor. Gives value, shows respect, gives recognition. Like the word obey, it often implies that action has to be taken, okay? While this looks like a continuation of the instruction to children, adults can also receive this message. We can receive this message even though we're out of the house. 
We're no longer under the authority of our parents. We're no under the obligation of, of obeying them, but we still must continue to honor them. Proverbs 23, 25, let your father and your mother be glad and let her who bore you rejoice. Those some beautiful words. If we can make our parents glad and lead our mother to rejoicing because we've simply honored them, then that honors our father in heaven as well. Maybe a lot of reason for you to honor your parents, but if you can't think of one, listen to this, appreciate their effort. I know that parenting, parenting is difficult. It's demanding, it's time consuming, and it is expensive. Pastor Ian and I talked about this one time. I can't remember exactly if he did it in a service or if we just talked about it, but this is, these are 2022 numbers. From birth to the age of 18, the average household on one child, the, the money spent on one child is $288,000. That's not including college. Brian, that's not including when they're done with college and they come and move back to the house. $288,000, that's per child. And y'all, man, it's just so worth it. It's just so worth it. If you say it fast, it doesn't sound bad. Another sensitive thing that I want to, I want to make sure that, that, I'm, that I'm putting out there, you might find it really difficult to honor your parents. You might be in that season of life. Those of you who are estranged from your parents, they've refused to walk with God. They refused to walk with you. Maybe they've harmed you in the past emotionally. Maybe they've harmed you physically and you're just done with them. I want to say this, as hard as it is, Honor the, honoring them still in their bitterness, in their anger, in their old age, in their unforgiveness is worth it because you can still lead them to Jesus. I don't know what your story is with your parents. Some of you I do. I'm not telling you how to manage forgiveness. You might not even be in a place where this can happen. But the deeper we grow in Christ, the stronger our understanding of forgiveness and the more we give things to Jesus, honoring and forgiving others will become easier. All right, moving on to verse four. Somebody say fathers. And you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It's possible that the word fathers here, I wanna make this clear. It's possible that the word fathers here in Greek also includes mothers. It's just like the word brothers sometimes includes brothers and sisters. But it's probable that Paul chose to talk specifically about fathers, parents at the beginning, and now fathers here, because they were called to be different than the traditional Roman father. You heard a little bit about that earlier, but listen to this commentator, William Barclay. He says this, that a Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in the fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands for the law was in his own hands and he could punish like he wanted to. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. So the Christian father 
was completely different than the typical Roman father that was, that was there in that time in Paul's day. The Christian father was caring for his family as God, as God the father cared for his. The Christian father, they were the physical link and are the physical link that children have to their father in heaven. The next word there is provoke. And you fathers do not provoke your child, your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Provoke, hmm. make angry, push buttons, stir them up with negative intent. I'm just gonna tell you that I've done it. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. Here's the deal. Children get angry for no reason. Especially teenage children. It's like they don't even give us time to take cover. It just happens. The tornado without a warning. But if I'm being honest and I raise my hand because sometimes I let their anger, their bad day, where they are, what I call unexpected rage, I let that trip me up more than I should. It's like this vicious teenage cycle. They say something smart, I smart back. They explode, I implode. And then my discipline comes from a place of anger rather than a place of love. And it's mostly because of the way that I responded. They had a bad day, I pushed their buttons, I provoked Colossians 3.21 tells us that we can break our children's spirit. And that is not honoring our children and it's not honoring God. I love what C.S. Lewis says about the relationship between the parents and kids. He says this, that we hear a great deal about the rudeness of the rising generation. Mm. I'm an oldster myself and might be expected to take the oldster's side. But in fact, I have been far more impressed by the bad manners of parents to children than those of children to parents. Mm. So what do we do? Continuing in verse four, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition to the Lord. Everybody say, bring them up. This verb literally means to feed or to nourish them. To feed or to nourish them. We know that that's important for kids. Let me give you some LifeWay statistics. More than half of the people who will accept Christ as Savior will do so by age 12. Less than 6% of people receive Jesus after age 12. By the time a child is nine years, nine years old, their basic moral foundation has already been formed. So that leads me to this, one of my favorite scriptures, Proverbs 22, six, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So church family, if nothing else lands today, I don't want this to slip by you. I'm a parent. I'm also your friend and I love you. And I'm not telling you how to parent However, I'm also a pastor and I've been ordained specifically to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. And someday I'll be held accountable for that. So I say this with love, that if you refuse to bring up your children in the Lord, someone else 
will step in and bring them up in a way that is not of the Lord. When you don't train them up in the Lord, when you don't bring them to church and you allow them to do whatever they want to do, you allow them the opportunity to not go to church. You allow them the opportunity to do other things. The chances that they will depart from the faith are much higher. If you don't train them, their friends will. If you don't stay active in their life, their phones will. If you don't teach them the true meaning of love, some YouTuber or TikToker will. And I know that's hard to hear. And I know that you're busy, but your kids need you. Our kids need us. They need to learn. They need to learn the way that you taught them to hold a bottle when they were babies. You taught them that. They need to learn like they learned to potty train. You also taught them that. They need to learn like you taught them and you teach them to read. And this thought occurred to me. We don't just, when a child turns 15 years old, we don't give them the keys and say, go get them, tiger, Mario. We don't do that. What do they require? Training. Hours and hours of going over here to Fairview High School parking lot and trying to get them to park the car between the white lines. Between the white, open your door. Nope. Between the white lines, hours and hours and days of days of driving down to 840, getting on the 840 and driving down to the Pinewood exit and coming back and learning how to decelerate as you're exiting that ramp. These are things that we teach. We don't just trust them. We walk with them. How beautiful was that video this morning? I hope you all saw it of of Letty Nash getting baptized. It was a replay from this morning. But of her mom, Emma, talking about how that decision happened. This is a visual, y'all. This is bringing them up in the Lord. It's so sweet. And here's the thing. I'll recognize this. You may not think that you have the, the access to, to learning how to do that. You may be such a new believer that you're like, I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. I wouldn't know how to, how, to, how to lead my kids in the home. We can give you the tools. We can, we can equip you. And I want to say this, but I mean, we already talked about it, Pastor Ian did, but when this building opens up, we're going to have discipleship opportunities. We're going to have growing opportunities, things just like this, right? And until then, if you're in a spot, you're like, I just want something now so I can start walking with my kiddo. Jeff at onechurchhome.com. Start there. I'll give you some, I'll give you some, some different directions to go. So here's another sensitive part. How much responsibility do Christian parents need to take for how their kids turn out as adults? So I want to say this. I don't, I think it's wrong to suggest that parents are responsible for the path that their kids take as adults when they leave the house. However, and listen to me, it is equally wrong to assume that our methods as parents have no bearing on our kids at all. Some of us have prayed for a very long time for kids and the Lord finally gave it to it. And now we don't ever think that our kids can do anything wrong. 
Some of us are walking around with drunk goggles. Do you know what drunk goggles are? I just learned about this recently. Highway Patrol, <laughs> Highway Patrol has these goggles called drunk goggles and you put them on and they're like, I don't know how many lenses or whatever, but the idea is to get, for you to feel the feeling of what it's like if you've had too much to drink and how you can't perform the test if you, you know, if you get pulled over or things like that, right? That's what drunk goggles are. Y'all, your drunk goggles for your kids is love. It's called love goggles because you have no idea how they are acting. You're not seeing it. You don't know that they need discipline. You don't know that they need training. Your kids are not perfect. No! They're not. Take off your drunk goggles and see it. And guess what? Here's the thing. Everybody around you knows your kids are not perfect. They know it. So you don't have to pretend. Receive that. Your children are not perfect. Your children are so loved. You love them so much. But sometimes those drunk goggles come up and it's like a blinder. You're blinded by the love of your kid. And I get it, right? Here's the thing. We can easily make our children into an idol. That's a problem. That's a problem for you. That's a problem for your child. How do you know if you're making your kiddo into an idol? If your child is running your household and setting your schedule, be careful. Your child is participating in extracurricular activities that they don't really want to do, but you think are good for them. Watch yourself. If you compromise your standards for their comfort, you spend excessively on them and you constantly worry about them. You need to be careful. If you find yourself siding with your children, more than you side with your spouse? It's a problem. If your children are getting in trouble at school all the time and as a parent, you tend to blame the other child, they must have been provoked by somebody else. Or if, you're, if your response is, your teacher just doesn't like them, then that, that's a problem. You're setting your kiddo up for a very difficult adult life they won't know where the line is that they can't cross. And before you know it, they're dabbling in darkness because they never learned that the light is where they actually should be. Show them where the line is. I know you love them. I love them. I probably know them. I, maybe I taught them. I get it. But train them in the Lord. We have resources, our kids' ministry. Our student ministry, Pastor Shane and Faith have a young adult ministry. These ministries, listen to me carefully, these ministries are meant to complement you as the main discipler of your kids. I want to say it again, just so you hear it. Our youth director, Ethan, is not the main discipler of your child. He will walk alongside you. He will give you tools. He will, he will help you. He sees your kids one time a week, maybe two. 
our kids ministry team, our, our, our phenomenal hosts who, who, who sit down and teach them on Sunday mornings. They see your kiddos once a week. They cannot be the main discipler. You, parents, you have to be the one to teach them. You have to be the one to lead them. I do believe what Paul was writing this letter that he wanted children to hear this, but I also believe in this tiny little section, this four verses, what I wanted, I think Paul wanted to remind us is that we are God's children. And lastly, there's something I want to recognize that intentionally I put this, I didn't mention it earlier. I want to recognize those of you who have not had a great or even good relationship with your father. Maybe he has not shown affection. Maybe he's a father who rarely told you that he was proud of you when you did something good. Maybe all you needed to hear was, son, I'm so proud of you. Or baby girl, you are so beautiful. I don't want you to ever feel like daddy's not around. Instead, maybe he's always tore you down when you failed. Maybe you tried hard at receiving his approval to no end, and it was just easier to give that relationship altogether. Church, if that's you, I don't want you to let these feelings transfer to your relationship and view of your heavenly father. I didn't do my quiet time this morning. I didn't pray. I haven't talked to anybody about Jesus. He's got to be angry with me. He's just waiting for me to get to heaven if he lets me in so he can tell me how horrible I am and how disappointed he is in me. You're terrified because of your relationship with your heavenly father is now influencing or being influenced by the relationship and bad relationship that you've had with your earthly father. But that's not who he is. While your earthly father falls short, I fall short. Your heavenly father is perfect. He's your creator. He's your comforter, your protector. He's your provider, your redeemer. He's everything. This morning, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. If that relationship is something you want, you want a deeper relationship with God the Father. If that's something that you want, I'm not going to make this awkward. I'm not going to make you walk up here, but it's, it's going to cause you, it, you, you are going to need to be bold for just a second. If that's something that you want, that you know your relationship with God can get stronger that you can give up all these thoughts that he's like your earthly father. If you want that, I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. I want you to keep your hand up. Church family, if you see somebody around you that has their hand up, just go put a shoulder, put a hand on their shoulder. You might have to get up. As we close and we pray here, Father God, we love you. 
We trust you. We know that you're there. We know that you're perfect. We know that you're our redeemer. We know that we've been forgiven. We know, Lord, that you are walking through us in the valley. And we're thankful. Father, for my brothers and sisters who have raised their hands, who want to set aside what their earthly father has failed to do and receive the love of their heavenly father. I pray for them. I pray, Lord, that you would walk with them, that they would feel your love even right now, the warmth of your love, that they would feel your guidance and that they wouldn't question whether or not you love them. Lord, we know you love us. You sent your son to die so that we could live eternally with you. And for that, we are forever grateful. We love you. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Church family, I love you. I thank you. If you have an opportunity, this, the, uh, if, you, if you've never been here before and you want to touch base with a pastor, Pastor Randy is going to be out there. Have a great week. We'll see you soon.